Disc 2 Chapter 7 The Hidden Pit The children were all very glad to think that they were going to have meals by themselves in the old schoolroom. Nobody wanted to have much to do with Mr. Lenoir. They felt sorry for Mary Bell because she had such a peculiar father. They soon settled down at Smuggler's Top. Once George was satisfied that Timmy was safe and happy, though rather puzzled about everything, she settled down too. The only difficulty was getting Timmy to her room at night. This had to be done in darkness. Block had a most tiresome way of appearing silently and suddenly, and George was terrified of him catching a glimpse of the big dog. Timmy had a strange sort of life the next few days. While the children were indoors, he had to stay in the narrow secret passage, where he wandered about, puzzled and lonely, pricking his ears for a sound of the whistle that meant he was to come to the cupboard and be let out. He was fed very well, for Sooty raided the larder every night. Sarah the cook was amazed at the way things like soup bones disappeared. She could not understand it. But Timmy devoured everything that was given to him. Each morning, he was given good exercise by the children. The first morning, this had been really very exciting. George had reminded Sooty of his promise to take Timmy for walks each day. He simply must have exercise, or he'll be terribly miserable, she said. But how can we manage it? We can't possibly take him through the house and out of the front door. We'd be certain to walk into your father. I told you I knew a way that came out halfway down the hill, silly, said Sooty. I'll show you. We shall be quite safe once we're down there, because even if we met Block or anyone else that knew us, they wouldn't know it was our dog. They would think it was just a stray we had picked up. Well, show us the way, said George impatiently. They were all in Sooty's bedroom, and Timmy was lying on the mat beside George. They felt really safe in Sooty's room because of the buzzer that warned them when anyone opened the door at the end of the long passage. We'll have to go into Mary Bell's room, said Sooty. You'll get a shock when you see the way that leads down the hill, I can tell you. He looked out of the door. The door at the end of the passage was shut. Mary Bell, slip along and peep through the passage door, said Sooty. Warn us if anyone is coming up the stairs. If not, we'll all slip quickly into your room. Mary Bell ran to the door at the end of the passage. She opened it, and at once the warning buzzer sounded in Sooty's room, making Timmy growl fiercely. Mary Bell looked through the doorway to the stair. Then she signalled to the others that no one was coming. They all rushed out of Sooty's room into Mary Bell's, and Mary Bell came to join them. She was a funny little mouse of a girl, shy and timid. Anne liked her, and once or twice teased her for being so shy. But Mary Bell did not like being teased. Her eyes filled with tears at once, and she turned away. She'll be better when she goes to school, Sooty said. She can't help being shy, shut up all the year round in this strange house. She hardly ever sees anyone of her own age. They crowded into the little girl's bedroom and shut the door. Sooty turned the key in the lock. Just in case friend Block comes snooping, he said with a grin. Sooty began to move the furniture in the room to the sides, near the walls. 
The others watched in surprise and then helped. What's the idea of the furniture removal? asked Dick, struggling with a heavy chest. Got to get this heavy carpet up, panted Sooty. It's put there to hide the trap door below. At least, that's what I've always thought. Once the furniture stood by the walls, it was easy to drag up the heavy carpet. There was a felt lining under it too, and that had to be pulled aside as well. Then the children saw a trap door, let flat into the floor, with a ring handle to pull it up. They felt excited. Another secret way. This house seemed full of them. Sooty pulled at the ring, and the heavy door came up quite easily. The children peered down, but they could see nothing. It was pitch black. Are there steps down? asked Julian, holding Anne back in case she fell. No, said Sooty, reaching out for a big torch he had brought in with him. Look. He switched on his torch, and the children gave a gasp. The trap door led down to a pit far, far below. Why, it's miles below the foundations of the house, surely, said Julian, surprised. It's just a hole down to a big pit. What's it for? Oh, it was probably used to hide people or to get rid of them, said Sooty. <laughs> nice little place, isn't it? If you fell down there, you'd land with an awful bump. But how in the world could we get Timmy down there? We'll get down ourselves, said George. I'm not going to fall down it, that's certain. Sooty laughed. You won't have to, he said. Look here. He opened a cupboard and reached up to a wide shelf. He pulled something down and the children saw that it was a rope ladder, fine but very strong. There you are. We can all get down by that, he said. Timmy can't, said George at once. He couldn't possibly climb up or down a ladder. Oh, couldn't he? said Sooty. He seems such a clever dog. I should have thought he could easily have done a thing like that. Well, he can't, said George decidedly. That's a silly idea. I know, said Mary Bell, suddenly, going red at her boldness in breaking in on the conversation. I think I know. We could get the laundry basket and shut Timmy in it. And, and we would tie it with ropes and let him down and pull him up the same way. The others stared at her. Now that really is a brainwave, said Julian warmly. Good for you, Mary Bell. Timmy would be quite safe in a basket, but it would have to be a big one. There's a very big one in the kitchen, said Mary Bell. It's never used except when we have lots of people to stay, like now. We could borrow it. Oh, yes, said Sooty. Of course we could. I'll go and get it now. But what excuse will you give? shouted Julian after him. Sooty had already unlocked the door and shot out. He was a most impatient person and could never put off anything for a single minute. Sooty didn't answer. He sped down the passage. Julian locked the door after him. He didn't want anyone coming in and seeing the carpet up and the yawning hole. Sooty was back in two minutes, carrying a very heavy wicker laundry basket on his head. He banged on the door, and Julian unlocked it. Good, said Julian. How did you get it? Did anyone mind? Didn't ask them, grinned Sooty. Nobody there to ask. 
blocks with father, and Sarah has gone out shopping. I can always put it back if any awkward questions are asked. The rope ladder was shaken out down the hole. It slipped like an uncoiling snake down and down and reached the pit at the bottom. Then Timmy was fetched from Sooty's room. He came in wagging his tail, overjoyed at being with everyone again. George hugged him. Darling Timmy, I hate you being hidden away like this. But never mind, we're all going out together this morning. I'll go down first, said Sooty. Then you'd better let Timmy down. I'll tie his basket round with this rope. It's nice and strong, and there's plenty to let down. Better tie the other end to the end of the bed. Then when we come up again, we can easily pull him up. Timmy was made to get inside the big basket and lie down. He was surprised and barked a little. But George put her hand over his mouth. Shh, you mustn't say a word, Timmy, she said. I know all this is very astonishing, but never mind. You'll have a marvellous walk at the end of it. Timmy heard the word walk and was glad. That was what he wanted, a really nice long walk in the open air and sunshine. He didn't at all like having the lid shut down on him. But as George seemed to think he must put up with all these strange happenings, Timmy did so with a very good grace. He's really a marvellous dog, said Mary Bell. Sooty, get down the hole now and be ready for when we let him down. Sooty disappeared down the dark hole, holding his torch between his teeth. Down and down he went, down and down. At last, he stood safely at the bottom and flashed his torch upwards. His voice came to them, sounding rather strange and far away. Come on, lower Timmy down. The laundry basket, feeling extraordinarily heavy now, was pushed to the edge of the hole. Then, down it went, knocking against the sides here and there. Timmy growled. He didn't like this game. Dick and Julian had hold of the rope between them. They lowered Timmy as smoothly as they could. He reached the bottom with a slight bump, and Sooty undid the basket. Out leapt Timmy, barking, but his bark sounded very small and distant to the watchers at the top. Now, come on down, one by one, shouted up Sooty, waving his torch. Is the door locked, Julian? Yes said Julian. Look out for Anne. She's coming now. Anne climbed down, a little frightened at first, but as her feet grew used to searching for and finding the rungs of the rope ladder, she went down quite quickly. Then the others followed, and soon they were all standing together at the bottom of the hole in the enormous pit. They looked round curiously. It had a musty smell, and its walls were damp and greenish. Sooty swung his torch round, and the children saw various passages leading off here and there. Where do they all lead to? asked Julian in amazement. Well, I told you this hill was full of tunnels, said Sooty. This pit is down in the hill, and these tunnels lead into the catacombs. There are miles and miles of them. No one explores them now because so many people have been lost in them and never heard of again. There used to be an old map of them, but it's lost. It's weird, said Anne, and shivered. I wouldn't like to be down here alone. 
What a place to hide smuggled goods in, said Dick. No one would ever find them here. I guess the old-time smugglers knew every inch of these passages, said Sooty. Come on, we'll take the one that leads out of the hillside. We'll have to do a bit of climbing when we get there. Hope you don't mind. Not a bit, said Julian. We're all good climbers. But I say, Sooty, you're sure you know the way? We don't want to be lost forever down here. Course I know the way. Come on, said Sooty. And flashing his torch in front of him, he led the way into the dark and narrow tunnel. Chapter 8 An Exciting Walk The tunnel ran slightly downwards and smelt nasty in places. Sometimes it opened out into pits like the one they had themselves come from. Sooty flashed his torch up them. That one goes into Barling's house somewhere, he said. Most of the old houses hereabouts have openings into pits like ours. Jolly well hidden some of them are too. There's daylight or something in front, said Anne suddenly. Oh, good, I hate this tunnel. Sure enough, it was daylight, creeping in through a kind of cave entrance in the hillside. The children crowded there and looked out. They were outside the hill and outside the town, somewhere on the steep cliffside that ran down to the marsh. Sooty climbed out onto a ledge. He put his torch into his pocket. We've got to get to that path down there, he said, pointing. That will lead us to a place where the city wall is fairly low and we can climb over it. Is Timmy sure-footed? We don't want him tumbling into the marsh down there. The marsh lay a good way below, looking ugly and flat. George sincerely hoped Timmy would never fall into it. Still, he was very sure-footed, and she didn't think he would slip. The path was steep and rocky, but quite passable. They all went down it, clambering over rocks now and again. The path led them to the city wall, which, as Sooty had said, was fairly low just there. He climbed up to the top. He was like a cat for climbing. No wonder he's got such a name for climbing about everywhere at school, said Dick to Julian. He's had good practice here. Do you remember how he climbed up to the roof of the school the term before last? Everyone was scared he'd slip and fall, but he didn't. He tied the Union Jack to one of the chimney pots. Come on, called Sooty. The coast is clear. This is a lonely bit of the town and no one will see us climbing up. Soon they were all over the wall, Timmy too. They set off for a good walk, swinging down the hill, enjoying themselves. The mist began to clear after a while, and the sun felt nice and warm. The town was very old. Some of the houses seemed almost tumble down, but there were people living in them, for smoke came from the chimneys. The shops were quaint, with their long, narrow windows and overhanging eaves. The children stopped to look into them. Look out! Here's Block, said Sooty suddenly in a low voice. Don't take any notice of Timmy at all. If he comes around licking us or jumping up, pretend to try and drive him off as if he were a stray. They all pretended not to see Block, but gazed earnestly into the window of a shop. Timmy, feeling rather out of it, ran up to George and poured at her, trying to make her take notice of him. Go away, dog, said Sooty, and flapped at the surprised Timmy. 
your way, following us about like this. Go home, can't you? Timmy thought this was some sort of game. He barked happily and ran round Sooty and George, giving them an occasional lick. Home, dog, home, yelled Sooty, flapping hard again. Then Block came up to them, no expression on his face at all. The dog bothers you, he said. I will throw a stone at him and make him go. Don't you dare, said George immediately. You go home yourself. I don't mind the dog following us. He's quite a nice one. Block's deaf, silly, said Sooty. It's no use talking to him. To George's horror, Block picked up a big stone, meaning to throw it at Timmy. George flew at him, punched him hard on the arm and made him drop the stone. How dare you throw stones at a dog, yelled the little girl in a fury. Oh, oh, tell the police. Now, now, said a voice nearby. What's all this about? Pierre, what's the trouble? The children turned and saw a tall man standing near them, wearing his hair rather long. He had long, narrow eyes, a long nose and a long chin. He's long everywhere, thought Anne, looking at his long, thin legs and long, narrow feet. Oh, Mr. Barling, I didn't see you, said Sooty politely. Nothing's the matter, thanks. It's only that this dog is following us and Block said he'd make it go away by chucking a stone at it. And George here is fond of dogs and got angry about that. I see. And who are all these children? said Mr. Barling, looking at each one of them out of his long, narrow eyes. They've come to stay with us because their uncle's house has been damaged in a gale, explained Sooty. George's father's house, I mean, at Kirin. Ah, at Kirin, said Mr. Barling, and seemed to prick up his long ears. Surely that is where that very clever scientist friend of Mr. Lenoir's lives. Yes, he's my father, said George. Why? Do you know him? I have heard of him, and of his very interesting experiments, said Mr. Barling. Mr. Lenoir knows him well, I believe. Not awfully well, said George, puzzled. They just write to one another, I think. My father telephoned to Mr. Lenoir to ask him if he could have us to stay while our own house was being mended. And Mr. Lenoir, of course, was only too delighted to have the whole company of you, said Mr. Barling. Such a good, generous fellow, your father Pierre. The children stared at Mr. Barling, thinking that it was strange of him to say nice things in such a nasty voice. They felt uncomfortable. It was plain that Mr. Barling did not like Mr. Lenoir at all. Well, neither did they but they didn't like Mr. Barling any better. Timmy saw another dog and darted happily after him. Block had now disappeared, going up the steep high street with his basket. The children said goodbye to Mr. Barling, not wanting to talk to him any more. They went after Timmy, talking eagerly as soon as they had left Mr. Barling behind. Goodness, that was a narrow escape from Block, said Julian. Old beast! going to throw that enormous stone at Timmy. No wonder you flew at him, George. But you very nearly gave the game away, though. I don't care, 
said George. I wasn't going to have Timmy's leg broken. It was a bit of bad luck meeting Block on our very first morning out. We'll probably never meet him again when we take Timmy out, said Sooty comfortingly. And if we do, we'll simply say the dog always joins us when it meets us, which is perfectly true. They enjoyed their walk. They went into a quaint old coffee shop and had steaming cups of delicious creamy coffee and jammy buns. Timmy had two of the buns and gobbled them greedily. George went off to buy some meat for him at the butcher's, choosing a shop that Sooty said Mrs Lenoir did not go to. She did not want any butcher telling Mrs Lenoir that the children had been buying dog meat. They went back the same way as they had come. They made their way up the steep cliff path and in at the tunnel entrance, back through the winding tunnel to the pit, and there was the rope ladder waiting for them. Julian and Dick went up first, while George packed the surprised Timmy into the basket again and tied the rope firmly round it. Then up went the whining Timmy, bumping against the sides of the hole, until the two panting boys pulled the basket into Mary Bell's room and undid it. It was ten minutes before the dinner hour. Just time to shut the trap door, pull back the carpet and wash our hands, said Sooty. And I'll put old Timmy back into the secret passage behind the cupboard in my room, George. Where's that meat you bought? I'll put that in the passage too. He can eat it when he likes. Did you put him a nice warm rug there and a dish of fresh water? asked George anxiously for the third or fourth time. You know I did. I keep telling you, said Sooty. Look, we won't put back all the furniture except the chairs. We can say we want it left back because we like to play a game on the carpet. It'll be an awful bore if we have to move chests and things every time we exercise Tim. They were just in time for their dinner. Block was there to serve it and so was Sarah. The children sat down hungrily, in spite of having had coffee and buns. Block and Sarah ladled out hot soup onto their plates. I hope you got rid of the unpleasant dog, said Block in his monotonous voice. He gave George a rather nasty look. Evidently, he had not forgotten how she had flown at him. Sooty nodded. It was no good speaking an answer, for Block would not hear. Sarah bustled round, taking away the soup plates and preparing to give them their second course. The food was very good at Smuggler's Top. There was plenty of it, and the hungry visitors and Sooty ate everything put before them. Mary Bell hadn't much appetite, but she was the only one. George tried to secrete titbits and bones whenever she could for Timmy. Two or three days went by, and the children fell into their new life quite happily. Timmy was taken out each morning for a long walk. The children soon got used to slipping down the rope ladder and making their way with Timmy to the cliffside. In the afternoons, they went to either Sooty's room or Mary Bell's and played games or read. They could have Timmy there because the buzzer always warned them if anyone was coming. At night, it was always an excitement to get Timmy to George's room without being seen. This was usually done when Mr and Mrs Lenoir were sitting at their dinner and Block and Sarah were serving them. The children had a light supper first, and Mr and Mrs Lenoir had their dinner an hour later. 
it was quite the best time to smuggle Timmy along to George's room. Timmy seemed to enjoy the smuggling. He ran silently beside George and Sooty, stopped at every corner and scampered gladly into George's room as soon as he got there. He lay quietly under the bed till George was in bed herself and then he came out to lie on her feet. George always locked their door at night. She didn't want Sarah or Mrs Lenoir coming in and finding Timmy there. But nobody came and as night after night went by, George grew more easy about Timmy. Taking him back to Sooty's room in the morning was a bit of a nuisance because it had to be done early, before anyone was up. But George could always wake herself at any time she chose, and each morning, about half-past six, the little girl slipped through the house with Timmy. She went in at Sooty's door, and he jumped out of bed to deal with Timmy. He was always awakened by the buzzer that sounded when George opened the door at the end of the passage. I hope you are all enjoying yourselves, Mr Lenoir said to the children whenever they met him in the hall or on the stairs, and they always replied politely, Oh yes, Mr Lenoir, thank you. It's quite a peaceful holiday after all, said Julian. Nothing happens at all. And then things did begin to happen, and once they had begun, they never stopped. Chapter 9. Who is in the Tower? One night, Julian was awakened by someone opening his door. He sat up at once. Who is it? he said. Me, Sooty, said Sooty's voice very low. I say, I want you to come and see something. Julian woke Dick, and the two of them put on their dressing gowns. Sooty led them quietly out of the room and took them to a peculiar little room tucked away in an odd wing of the house. All kinds of things were kept here, trunks and boxes, old toys, chests of old clothes, broken vases that had never been mended, and many other worthless things. Look, said Sooty, taking them to the window. They saw that the little room had a view of the tower belonging to the house. It was the only room in the house that did, for it was built at a strange angle. The boys looked, and Julian gave an exclamation. Someone was signalling from the tower. A light there flashed every now and again, in and out, pause, flash, flash, in and out, pause. The light went regularly on and off in a certain rhythm. Now, who's doing that? whispered Sooty. Your father? wondered Julian. Don't think so, said Sooty. I think I heard him snoring away in his room. We could go and find out, though, see if he really is in his bedroom. Well, for goodness sake, don't let's get caught, said Julian, not at all liking the idea of prying about in his host's house. They made their way to where Mr Lenoir had his room. It was quite plain he was there, for a regular low snoring came from behind the closed door. It may be Block up in the tower, said Dick. He looks full of secrets. I wouldn't trust him an inch. I bet it's Block. Well, shall we go to his room and see if it's empty, whispered Sooty. Come on, if it's Block signalling, 
He's doing it without father knowing. Oh, your father might have told him to, said Julian, who felt that he wouldn't trust Mr. Lenoir much further than he would trust Block. They went up the back stairs to the wing where the staff slept. Sarah slept in a room there with Harriet, the kitchen maid. Block slept alone. Sooty pushed open Block's door very softly and slowly. When he had enough room to put his head in, he did so. The room was full of moonlight. By the window was Block's bed, and Block was there. Sooty could see the humpy shape of his body and the black round patch that was his head. He listened, but he could not catch Block's breathing. He must sleep very quietly. He withdrew his head and pushed the other two boys quietly down the back stairs. Was he there? whispered Julian. Yes, so it can't be him signalling up in our tower, said Sooty. Well, who can it be then? I don't like it. It couldn't possibly be Mother or Sarah or Harriet. Is there a stranger in our house? Someone we don't know, living here in secret? Can't be, said Julian, a little shiver running down his back. Look here, what about us going up to the tower and trying to peep through the door or something? We'd soon find out who it was then. Perhaps we ought to tell your father. No, not yet. I want to find out a whole lot more before I say anything to anyone, said Sooty, sounding obstinate. Let's creep up to the tower. We shall have to be jolly careful, though. You get to it by a spiral staircase, rather narrow. There's nowhere much to hide if anyone suddenly came down out of the tower. What's in the tower? whispered Dick, as they made their way through the dark and silent house, thin streaks of moonlight coming in here and there between the crack of the closed curtains. Nothing much, just a table and a chair or two and a bookcase of books, said Sooty. We use it on hot summer days, when the breeze gets in strongly through the windows there, and we can see a long way all round us. They came to a little landing. From this, a winding, narrow stairway of stone went up to the rounded tower. The boys looked up. Moonlight fell on the stairway from a slit-like window in the wall. We'd better not all go up, said Sooty. We should find it so difficult to hurry down, three of us, if the person in the tower suddenly came out. I'll go. You stay down here and wait. I'll see if I can spy anything through the crack in the door or the keyhole. He crept softly up the stairway, soon lost to view as he rounded the first spiral. Julian and Dick waited in the shadows at the bottom. There was a thick curtain over one of the windows there, and they got behind it, wrapping its folds round them for warmth. Sooty crept up to the top. The tower room had a stout oak door, studded and barred. It was shut. It was no use trying to look through the crack, because there wasn't one. He bent down to peer through the keyhole. But that was stuffed up with something, so he could not see through that either. He pressed his ear to it and listened. He heard a series of little clicks. Click, 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 click. Nothing else at all. That's the click of the light they're using, thought Sooty, still signalling like mad. What for? Who to? 
and who is in our tar room, using it as a signalling station. How I wish I knew! Suddenly, the clicking stopped. There was the sound of someone walking across the stone floor of the tower, and almost at once the door opened. Sooty had no time to hurry down the stairs. All he could do was to squeeze into a niche and hope that the person would not see him or touch him as he went by. The moon went behind a cloud at that moment, and Sooty was thankful to know he was hidden in black shadow. Someone came down the stairs and actually brushed against Sooty's arm. Sooty jumped almost out of his skin, expecting to be hauled out of his niche. But the person did not seem to notice and went on down the spiral stairway, walking softly. Sooty did not dare to go down after him, for he was afraid the moon would come out and cast his shadow down for the signaller to see. So he stayed squeezed in his niche, hoping that Julian and Dick were well hidden, and would not think it was he, Sooty, who was walking down the stairs. Julian and Dick heard the soft footsteps coming, and thought at first it was Sooty. Then, not hearing his whisper, they stiffened behind the curtains, guessing that it was the signaller himself who was walking by. We'd better follow him, whispered Julian to Dick. Come on, quiet now. But Julian got muddled up with the great curtains and could not seem to find his way out. Dick, however, slipped out easily enough and padded after the disappearing person. The moon was now out again, and Dick could catch glimpses of the signaller as he went past the moonlight streaks. Keeping well in the shadows himself, he darted quietly after him. Where was he going? He followed him across the landing to a passage, then across another landing and up the back stairs. But those led to the staff bedrooms. Surely the man was not going there. Dick, to his enormous surprise, saw the person disappear silently into Block's bedroom. He crept to the door, which had been left a little ajar. There was no light in the room except that of the moon. There was no sound of talking, nothing at all except a creak which might have come from the bed. Dick peeped in, full of the most intense curiosity. Would he see the man waking up Block? Would he see him climbing out of the window? He stared round the room. There was no one there at all, except Block lying in bed. The moonlight lit up the corners, and Dick could quite plainly see that the room was empty. Only Block lay there. And as Dick watched, he heard him give a sigh and roll over in bed. Well, that's the strangest thing I ever saw, thought Dick, puzzled. A man goes into a room and completely disappears without a single sound. Where can he have gone? He went back to find the others. Sooty, by this time, had crept down the spiral staircase and had found Julian who had explained that Dick had gone to follow the peculiar signaller. They went to find Dick, and suddenly bumped into him, creeping along quietly in the darkness. They all jumped violently, and Julian almost cried out, but stifled his voice just in time. Golly, you gave me a scare, Dick, he whispered. Well, did you see who it was and where he went? Dick told them of his strange experience. He simply went into Block's room and vanished, he said. 
Is there any secret passage leading out of Block's room, Sooty? No, none, said Sooty. That wing is much newer than the rest of the house and hasn't any secrets in it at all. I simply can't imagine what happened to the man. How very odd. Who is he? And why does he come? And where on earth does he go? We really must find out, said Julian. It's such a mystery. Sooty, how did you know there was signalling going on from the tower? Well, some time ago, I found it out quite by accident, said Sooty. I couldn't sleep, and I went along to that funny little box room place and ferreted about for an old book I thought I'd seen there. And suddenly, I looked up at the tower and saw a light flashing there. Funny, said Dick. Well, I went along there at night a good many times after that. To see if I could see the signals again, said Sooty. And at last I did. The first time I had seen them, there was a good moon. And the second time there was too. So, I thought, next time there's a moon, I'll creep along to that old box room and see if the signaller is at work again. And sure enough, he was. Where does that window look out on that we saw the light flashing from? asked Julian thoughtfully. The seaward side or the landward? Seaward, said Sooty at once. There's something or someone out at sea that receives those signals. Goodness knows who. Some kind of smugglers, I suppose, said Dick. But it can't be anything to do with your father, Sooty. I say, let's go up into the tower, shall we? We might find something there, or see something. They went back to the spiral staircase and climbed up to the tower room. It was dark for the moon was behind a cloud, but it came out after a while, and the boys looked out of the seaward window. There was no mist at all that night. They could see the flat marshes stretching away to the sea. They gazed down in silence. Then the moon went in, and darkness covered the marsh. Suddenly, Julian clutched the others, making them jump. I can see something, he whispered. Look beyond there. What is it? They all looked. It seemed like a tiny line of very small dots of light. They were so far away that it was difficult to see if they stayed still or moved. Then the moon came out again, flooding everywhere with silvery light, and the boys could not see anything except the moonshine. But when the moon went in again, there was the line of tiny pricking lights again. A bit nearer, surely, whispered Sooty. Smugglers coming over a secret path from the sea to Castaway Hill. Smugglers! Chapter 10 Timmy Makes a Noise The three girls were very excited the next day when the boys told them their adventure of the night before. Gracious, said Anne, her eyes wide with surprise. Who can it be signalling like that? And wherever did he go? Fancy him going into Block's room, with Block there in bed. It's very peculiar, said George. I wish you'd come and told me and Anne. There wasn't time, and anyway, we couldn't have Timmy about at night. 
He might have flown at the signaller, said Dick. The man must have been signalling to the smugglers, said Julian thoughtfully. Let me see. Probably they came over from France in a ship, came as near to the marsh as they could, waited for a signal to tell them that the coast was clear, probably the signal from the tower, and then waded across a path they knew through the marsh. Each man must have carried a torch to prevent himself from leaving the path and falling into the marsh. No doubt there was someone waiting to receive the goods they brought, someone at the edge of the marsh below the hill. But who? said Dick. It can't have been Mr Barling, who Sooty says is known to be a smuggler, because the signal lights came from our house, not his. It's all very puzzling. Well, we'll do our best to solve the mystery, said George. There's some peculiar game going on in this very house, without your father's knowledge, Sooty. We'll keep a jolly good lookout and see if we can find out what it is. They were at breakfast alone when they discussed the night's adventure. Block came in to see if they had finished at that moment. Anne did not notice him. What does Mr Barling smuggle? she asked Sooty. Immediately, she got a hard kick on her ankle and stared in pain and surprise. Why did you... she began and got another kick, harder still. Then she saw Block. But he's deaf, she said. He can't hear anything we say. Block began to clear away, his face as usual showing no expression. Sooty glared at Anne. She was upset and cross but said no more. She rubbed her bruised ankle hard. As soon as Block went out of the room, she turned on Sooty. You mean thing! You hurt my ankle like anything! Why shouldn't I say things in front of Block? He's quite deaf, said Anne, her face very red. I know he's supposed to be, said Sooty, and I think he is, but I saw a funny look come over his face when you asked me what Mr Barling smuggled. Almost as if he had heard what you said and was surprised. You imagined it, said Anne crossly, still rubbing her ankle. Anyway, don't kick me so hard again. A gentle push with your toe would have been enough. I won't talk in front of Block if you don't want me to, but it's quite plain he's as deaf as a post. Yes, he's deaf all right, said Dick. I dropped a plate off the table yesterday by accident just behind him, and it smashed to bits if you remember. Well, he didn't jump or turn a hair, as he would have done if he could have heard. All the same, I never trust Block, deaf or not, said Sooty. I always feel he might read our lips or something. Deaf people can often do that, you know. They went off to take Timmy for his usual morning walk. Timmy was quite used to being shut in the laundry basket by now and lowered into the pit. In fact, he always jumped straight into the basket as soon as the lid was opened and lay down. That morning, they again met Block, who stared with great interest at the dog. He plainly recognised it as the same dog as before. There's Block, said Julian in a low voice. Don't drive Timmy off this time. We'll pretend he's a stray who always meets us each morning. So they let Timmy run round them. And when Block came up, they nodded to him and made as if to go on their way. But the man stopped them. 
That dog seems to be a friend of yours, he said in his curious monotone of a voice. Oh, yes, he goes with us each morning now, said Julian politely. He quite thinks he's our dog. Nice fellow, isn't he? Block stared at Timmy, who growled. Mind you do not bring that dog into the house, said Block. If you do, Mr. Lenoir will have him killed. Julian saw George's face beginning to turn red with fury. He spoke hurriedly. Why should we bring him to the house, Block? Don't be silly. Block, however, did not appear to hear. He gave Timmy a nasty look and went on his way, occasionally turning round to look at the little company of children. Horrid fellow, said George angrily. How dare he say things like that? When they got back to Mary Bell's bedroom that morning, they pulled Timmy up from the pit and let him out of the basket. We'll put him into the secret passage as usual, said George, and I'll put some biscuits in with him. I got some nice ones for him this morning, the sort he likes, all big and crunchy. She went to the door, but just as she was about to unlock it and take Timmy into Sooty's room next door, Timmy gave a small growl. George took her hand away from the door at once. She turned to look at Timmy. He was standing stiffly, the hackles on his neck rising up, and he was staring fixedly at the door. George put her hand to her lips warningly and whispered, Someone's outside. Timmy knows. He's smelt them. Will you all talk loudly and pretend to be playing a game? I'll pop Timmy into the cupboard where the rope ladder is kept. At once, the others began to talk to one another, while George swiftly dragged Timmy to the cupboard, patted him to make him understand he was to be quiet, and shut him in. My turn to deal, said Julian loudly, and took a pack of snap cards from the top of the chest. You won last time, Dick. Bet I'll win this time. He dealt swiftly. The others, still talking loudly, saying anything that came into their heads, began to play snap. They yelled, snap, nearly all the time, pretending to be very jolly and hilarious. Anyone listening outside the door would never guess it was all pretense. George, who was watching the door closely, saw that the handle was gradually turning, very slowly indeed. Someone meant to open the door without being heard and come in unexpectedly, but the door was locked. Soon the person outside, whoever it was, realised that the door was locked and the handle slowly turned the other way again. Then it was still. There came no other sound. It was impossible to know if anyone was still outside the door or not. But Timmy would know. Signing to the others to carry on with their shouting and laughing, George let Timmy out of the cupboard. He ran to the door of the room and stood there, sniffing quietly. Then he turned and looked at George, his tail wagging. It's all right, said George to the others. There's no one there now. Timmy always knows. We'd better quickly take him into your room, Sooty, while the coast is clear. Who could it have been, do you think, snooping outside? Block, I should say, said Sooty. He unlocked the door and peered out. There was no one in the passage. Sooty tiptoed to the door at the end and looked out there also. 
He waved to George to tell her it was all right to take Timmy into his room. Soon, Timmy was safely in the secret passage, crunching up his favourite biscuits. He had got quite used to his peculiar life now and did not mind at all. He knew his way about the passage and had explored other passages that led from it. He was quite at home in the maze of secret ways. Better go and have our dinner now, said Dick. And mind, Anne, don't go and say anything silly in front of that horrid block in case he reads your lips. Of course I shan't, said Anne indignantly. I wouldn't have before, but I never thought of him reading my lips. If he does, he's very clever. Soon they were all sitting down to lunch. Block was there waiting to serve them. Sarah was out for the day and did not appear. Block served them with soup and then went out. Suddenly, to the children's intense surprise and fright, they heard Timmy barking loudly. They jumped violently. Listen, that's Timmy, said Julian. He must be somewhere near here in that secret passage. How weird it sounds, his bark coming muffled and distant like that. But anyone would know it was a dog barking. Don't say anything at all about it in front of Block, said Sooty. Not a word. Pretend not to hear at all if Timmy barks again. What on earth is he barking for? It's the bark he uses when he's excited and pleased, said George. I expect he's chasing a rat. He always goes right off his head when he sees a rat or a rabbit. There he goes again. Oh dear, I hope he catches the rat quickly and settles down. Block came back at that moment. Timmy had again just stopped barking. But in a moment or two, his doggy voice could be heard once more, very muffled. Woof, woof, woof. Julian was watching Block closely. The man went on serving the meat. He said nothing, but looked round at the children intently, as if he wanted to see each child's expression or see if they said anything. Jolly good soup that was today, said Julian cheerfully, looking round at the others. I must say, Sarah is a wonderful cook. I think her ginger buns are gorgeous, said Anne, especially when they're all hot from the oven. Oof, oof, said Timmy's voice from far away behind the walls. George, your mother makes the most heavenly fruitcake I ever tasted said Dick to George, wishing Timmy would be quiet. I do wonder how they're all getting on at Kirin Cottage and if they've started mending the roof yet. Woof, said Timmy, joyfully chasing his rat down another bit of passage. Block served everyone and then silently disappeared. Julian went to the door to make sure he had gone and was not outside. I hope old Block is as deaf as a post, he said. I could have sworn I saw a surprised look come into those cold eyes of his when Timmy barked. Well, if he could hear him, which I don't believe, said George, he must have been jolly surprised to see us talking away and not paying any attention to a dog's barking at all. The others giggled. They kept a sharp ear for Block's return. They heard footsteps after a time and began to pile their plates together for him to take away. The schoolroom door opened, but it was not Block who came in. It was Mr. Lenoir.
He came in, smiling as usual, and looked round at the surprised children. Ah, so you are enjoying your dinner and eating it all up like good children, he said. He always irritated the children, because he spoke to them as if they were very small. Does Block wait on you properly? Oh, uh, yes, thank you, said Julian, standing up politely. We are having a very nice time here. We think Sarah is a wonderful cook. Ah, that's good, that's good, said Mr. Lenoir. The children waited impatiently for him to go out. They were so afraid that Timmy would bark again. But Mr. Lenoir seemed in no hurry. And then Timmy barked again. Woof! 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 Chapter 11. George is Worried Mr. Lenoir cocked his head on one side, almost like a startled dog, when he heard the muffled barking. He looked at the children, but they made no sign of having heard anything. Mr. Lenoir listened a little while, saying nothing. Then he turned to a drawing book belonging to Julian and began to look at the sketches there. The children felt somehow that he was doing it for the sake of staying in the schoolroom a little longer. Into Julian's mind came the quick suspicion that somehow Mr. Lenoir must have been told of Timmy's barking and come to investigate it for himself. It was the first time he had ever come to the schoolroom. Timmy barked again, a little more distantly. Mr. Lenoir's nose grew white at the tip. Sooty and Marybelle knew the danger sign and glanced at one another. That white-tipped nose usually meant a storm of temper. Do you hear that noise? said Mr. Lenoir, snapping out the words. What noise? asked Julian politely. Timmy barked again. Don't be foolish. There's the noise again, said Mr. Lenoir. At that moment, a gull called outside the window, circling in the sea breeze. Oh, that gull? Yes, we often hear the gulls, said Dick brightly. Sometimes they seem to mew like a cat. Pah, said Mr. Lenoir, almost spitting out the word. I suppose you will say they also bark like a dog. Well, they might, I suppose, agreed Dick, looking faintly surprised. After all, if they can mew like cats, there's no reason why they shouldn't bark like dogs. Timmy barked again very joyfully. Mr. Lenoir faced the children in a very bad temper indeed now. Can't you hear that? Tell me what that noise is. The children all put their heads on one side and pretended to listen very carefully. I can't hear anything, said Dick. Not a thing. I can hear the wind, said Anne. I can hear the gulls again said Julian, putting his hand behind one ear. I can hear a door banging. Perhaps that's the noise you mean, said Sooty, with a most innocent expression. His stepfather gave him a poisonous look. He could really be very unpleasant. And there's a window rattling, said Mary Bell, eager to do her bit too, though she felt very frightened of her father, for she knew his sudden rages very well. I tell you, it's a dog, and you know it, 
snapped Mr. Lenoir, the tip of his nose so white now that it looked very strange indeed. Where's the dog? Whose is he? What dog? began Julian, frowning, as if he were very puzzled indeed. There's no dog here that I can see. Mr. Lenoir glared at him and clenched his fingers. It was quite clear that he would have liked to box Julian's ears. Then listen, he hissed. Listen and say what you think could be making that barking, if not a dog. They were all forced to listen, for by now they felt scared of the angry man. But fortunately, Timmy made no sound at all. Either he had let the rat escape or was now gobbling it up. Anyway, there was not a single sound from him. Sorry, but really, I can't hear a dog barking, said Julian in rather an injured tone. Nor can I, said Dick, and the others joined in, saying the same. Mr. Lenoir knew that this time they were speaking the truth, for he too could not hear anything. When I catch that dog, I will have him poisoned he said very slowly and clearly. I will not have dogs in my house. He turned on his heel and went out quickly, which was a very good thing, for George was quite ready to fly into one of her rages, and then there would have been a real battle. Anne put her hand on George's arm to stop her shouting after Mr. Lenoir. Don't give the game away, she whispered. Don't say anything, George. George bit her lip. She had gone first red with rage, and then white. She stamped her foot. How dare he! How dare he! She burst out. Shut up, silly, said Julian. Block will be back in a minute. We must all pretend to be awfully surprised that Mr. Lenoir thought there was a dog, because if Block can read our lips, he mustn't know the truth. Block came in with the pudding at that moment, his face as blank as ever. It was the most curious face the children had ever seen, for there was never any change of expression on it at all. As Anne said, it might have been a wax mask. Funny how Mr. Lenoir thought there was a dog barking, began Julian, and the others backed him up valiantly. If Block could indeed read their lips... He would be puzzled to know whether there had been a dog barking or not. The children escaped to Sooty's room afterwards and held a council of war. What are we to do about Timmy? said George. Does your stepfather know the secret way behind the walls of Smuggler's Top, Sooty? Could he possibly get in and find Timmy? Timmy might fly at him, you know. Yes, he might said Sooty thoughtfully. I don't know if Father does know about the secret passages. I mean, I expect he knows, but I don't know if he'd guessed where the entrances are. I found them out quite by accident. I'm going home, said George suddenly. I'm not going to risk Timmy being poisoned. You can't go home alone, said Julian. It would look funny. If you do, we'll all have to go. And then we won't have a chance to solve this mystery with Sooty. No, for goodness sake, don't go and leave me just now, said Sooty, looking quite alarmed. It would make my father furious, simply furious. 
George hesitated. She didn't want to make trouble for Sooty, whom she liked very much, but on the other hand, she certainly was not going to risk danger to Timmy. Well, I'll telephone my father and say I'm homesick and want to go back, said George. I'll say I miss Mother. It's quite true. I do miss her. You others can stay on here and solve the mystery. It wouldn't be fair of you to try and keep me and Timmy here when you know I worry every moment in case someone got into the secret passage and put down poison meat for him to eat. The others hadn't thought of this. That would be terrible. Julian sighed. He would have to let George have her own way after all. All right, you telephone to your father, he said. There's a phone downstairs. Do it now if you like. There won't be anyone about now, I don't suppose. George slipped down the passage, out of the door there, and down the stairs to where the telephone was enclosed in a dark little cupboard. She dialed the number she wanted. There was a long wait. Then she heard the buzzing noise, brr, 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 that told her that the telephone bell at Kiring Cottage was ringing. She began to plan what she should say to her father. She must, she really must go home with Timmy. She didn't know how she was going to explain about Timmy. Perhaps she needn't explain at all. But she meant to go home that day or the next. Brr, 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 said the bell at the other end. It went on and on and nobody answered it. She did not hear her father's familiar voice, only the bell that went on ringing. Why did nobody answer? The operator at the exchange spoke to her. I'm sorry, there's no reply. George put down the receiver miserably. Perhaps her parents were out. She would have to try again later on. Poor George tried three times, but each time with the same result. No reply. As she was coming out of the telephone cupboard for the third time... Mrs. Lenoir saw her. Have you been trying to telephone to your home? she said. Haven't you heard any news? I haven't had a letter yet, said George. I've tried three times to telephone Kirin Cottage, but each time there is no reply. Well, we heard this morning that it is impossible to live in Kirin Cottage while the men are hammering and knocking everywhere, said Mrs. Lenoir in her gentle voice. We heard from your mother. She said that the noise was driving your father mad and they were going away for a week or so till things were better. But Mr. Lenoir at once wrote and asked them here. We shall know tomorrow because we have asked them to telephone a reply. We could not get them on the telephone today, of course, any more than you could, because they have gone away already. Oh, said George surprised at all this news and wondered why her mother had not written to tell her, too. Your mother said she had written to you, said Mrs. Lenoir. Maybe the letter will come by the next post. The posts are often most peculiar here. It will be a pleasure to have your parents if they can come. Mr. Lenoir particularly wants to meet your clever father. He thinks he is quite a genius. George said no more but went back to the others, her face serious. She opened Sooty's door, and the others saw at once that she had had news of some sort. "'I can't go home with Timothy,' said George. 
Mother and father can't stand the noise the workmen make, and they've both gone away. Bad luck, said Sooty. All the same, I'm glad you'll have to stay here, George. I should hate to lose you or Timmy. Your father has written to ask my mother and father to come and stay here too, said George. What I shall do about Timmy, I don't know. And they are sure to ask questions about him too. I can't tell a downright lie and say I left him with Alf the fisher boy or anything like that. I can't think what to do. We'll think of something, promised Sooty. Perhaps I can get one of the villagers to look after him for us. That would be a very good idea. Oh, yes, said George, cheering up. Why didn't I think of that before? Let's ask someone quickly, Sooty. But it was impossible to do anything that day, because Mrs Lenoir asked them to go down into the drawing room after tea and have a game with her. So none of them could go out to find someone to look after Timmy. Never mind, thought George. He'll be safe tonight on my bed. Tomorrow will be soon enough. It was the first time that Mrs. Lenoir had asked them down to be with her. You see, Mr. Lenoir is out tonight on important business, she explained. He has had to go to the mainland with the car. He doesn't like his evenings disturbed when he is at home, so I haven't been able to see as much of you all as I should have liked, but tonight I can. Julian wondered if Mr. Lenoir had gone to the mainland on smuggling business. Somehow, the smuggled goods must be taken across to the mainland. And if all that signalling business the other night had to do with Mr. Lenoir's smuggling, there may be he had now gone to dispose of the goods. The telephone bell rang shrilly. Mrs. Lenoir got up. I expect that is your mother or father on the phone, she said to George. Maybe I shall have news for you. Perhaps your parents will be arriving here tomorrow. She went out into the hall. The children waited anxiously. Would George's parents come or not? Chapter 12 Block Gets a Surprise Mrs. Lenoir came back after a time. She smiled at George. That was your father, she said. He is coming tomorrow, but not your mother. They went to your aunt's, and your mother says she thinks she must stay and help her because your aunt is not very well. But your father would like to come because he wants to discuss his latest experiments with Mr. Lenoir, who is very interested in them. It will be very nice to have him. The children would very much rather have had Aunt Fanny instead of Uncle Quentin, who could be very difficult at times. But still, he would probably be talking with Mr. Lenoir most of the time, so that would be all right. They finished their game with Mrs. Lenoir and went up to bed. George was to get Timmy to take him to her room. Sooty went to see that the coast was clear. He could not see Block anywhere. His stepfather was still away from the house. Sarah was singing in the kitchen, and the little kitchen maid, Harriet, was knitting there in a corner. Block must be out, thought Sooty, and went to tell George that the coast was clear. As he went across the landing to the long passage that led to his own room, the boy noticed two black lumps sticking out at the bottom of the thick curtains drawn across the landing window. He looked at them in surprise, and then 
recognized them. He grinned. So, old Block suspects we have a dog, and he thinks it sleeps in George's room or Julian's, and he's posted himself there to watch, he thought. Aha! I'll give friend Block a nasty shock. He ran to tell the others. George listened alarmed. But Sooty, as usual, had a plan. We'll give Block an awful shock, he said. I'll get a rope and we'll all go down to the landing. I'll suddenly yell out that there's a robber hiding behind the curtains and I'll pounce on Block and give him a few good punches. Then, with your help, Julian and Dick, I'll fold him up well in the curtains. A good jerk will bring them down on top of him as well. The others began to laugh. It would be fun to play a trick on Block. He really was such an unpleasant fellow. A good lesson would do him no harm. While all the excitement is beginning, I'll slip by with Timmy, said George. I only hope he won't want to join in. He might give Block a good nip. Well, hold on to Timmy firmly, said Julian. Get him into your room quickly. Now, are we ready? They were. Feeling excited, they crept down the long passage that led to the door which opened out onto the landing where Block was hiding. They saw the curtains move very slightly as they came along. Block was watching. End of Disc 2